The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Have you gone on a date yet? Um, I never know how to answer these questions because I'm like, is it a trick question? It's not a trick question. <laughs> so I've hung out, but I have. Is that what the kids call it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's a date or not. Like, what the heck is dating? I don't know. But I did find out about a new app, which is really surprising because it's first of its kind. There's an app obviously for anything. But this app, I've never ever, as you know, there's an app for just about anything. And I never heard of anything like this until recently. Um, so it's for single parents. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's a dating app for single parents that's specifically designed for them. Because look, okay, when I talk to guys that don't have kids, as much as I want them to understand my situation, most likely they don't. Right. Right. Because you kind of have to have your own kids to understand my crazy schedule and kind of my situation and not be judged for it. And so mm-hmm. Stir is a place where single parents can just be single. Stir is where you're excited to share about your three-year-old and your seven-year-old daughter because you're just so proud of them. And it's also a place where you don't have to apologize for having a crazy schedule because most likely they will have a crazy schedule as well. Yeah. And Stir is the app designed for parents who just happen to be single. So download Stir or tell your single friends to try it out. Welcome to Parenthood. Your life does not end here. Hi, I'm Christelle Lim, mother of two. And I'm Sarah Son, also a mother of two. We are longtime friends and now mothers. This is Being Bumo, a podcast about all things parenting. We want to have honest conversations about motherhood so we can each define it for ourselves. We're here to build our village and we hope that you join us. Welcome to Being Bumo. I am so excited today because we have a very special guest. I've been stalking her for a while same girl, on Instagram. Same. I, mean, I mean, when I think like, when I think about somebody who I just want to make sure I have like the no- notification on, want to make sure that I'm like getting all of her content. It's, it's me. <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah. No, okay, okay, no. okay. I it's forgive you, it's fine. Dr. Jenny Wang. Welcome, Dr. Jenny Wing. Seriously, we are so excited that you're here. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't believe I get to see your faces. Like, <laughs> this is life. incredible, yeah. right? I know. I'm so glad this worked out because you don't live here, but you were coming anyways. So I'm just so happy that we get to see you. I mean, you've made such a big impact on not just ourselves, but the entire community, our entire generation especially during the rise of Asian hate crimes. And so many of us didn't really know where to go. We just had kind of our own friend group and not that we weren't helpful to each other, but it's always nice to hear a professional talk about it in more of a... I feel like you gave us language. That was like the thing for me. It's like there was so much like bubbling in my system, so much like anger and resentment and confusion and misunderstanding. But I didn't know how to sort of explain that in like a way that was kind of PC, but also, you know what I mean? I feel like that's what I gained really from following and stalking you all day on on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that was, that was like the biggest thing for me. You're like 
know how to digest very difficult topics and very difficult things to understand and give it to us in like amazing sound bites that you can digest. But also topics that are difficult, but things that we've internalized our whole lives, not realizing that they are difficult and we just internalize it as like, oh, this is That's how normal. I am. This yeah. is normal. Yes. And then you're just like, oh, crap, like this is not okay that I feel this way, which was kind of our entire Asian American generation growing up, yeah. right? But let's back up a little. Okay, let's okay, back let's up. back up. Let's not go so deep yet. <laughs> <laughs> because we want to give Dr. Wang a moment to like introduce yourself and tell us how this, first of all, how you decided to, maybe I'll just go on Instagram one day and start talking about things and a little bit of your background. Let's start there. Sure. Well, thank you both so much for having me. So I am a clinical psychologist. I practice out of Houston, Texas, and I also do corporate speaking, a lot of DEI type work, and then also just recently wrote a book, which I'm just, I can't believe it. It's one of those things where you dream about and then you think, oh, this will never happen. Mm -hmm. But, and so I guess, you know, the social media account, because I always say I'm like a social media grandma. I don't actually know how to use Instagram. <laughs> I just kind of fake it. But it really started in a season of my life where I was actually going through a lot. Mm -hmm. My own partner was very sick at the time. And it was this one space where it was just kind of for me, right? I had young mm -hmm. kids. My husband was struggling. And yet, there was this one space where it felt like I could have a small impact. Mm. And I think for so long, I felt like my Asian identity was something that I kind of carried internally, mm. but it didn't necessarily come out in my work all the time or didn't come out in day-to-day -day even conversation. I mean, five years ago, even, we weren't talking about Asian American identity. No. We weren't talking about no. Asian American mental health. Right. It was a very kind of Western kind of field. Mm -hmm. And so the social media account kind of came out of this desire to create content that would really specifically resonate with Asian Americans or mm -hmm. Asian diaspora, right? Mm -hmm. People who have left their homelands and are growing up elsewhere. And I think slowly I started to realize, oh my goodness, people really felt this. And, you know, earlier, Chriselle, you had said that th this was something that you knew you felt, but didn't have words for yet. Yeah. And I think that was really kind of what, that was the beginning of Asians for Mental Health. Mm, that's incredible. And did this happen during the pandemic or before the pandemic? Right. So my account started September, 2019. Ah. And so a couple months later, right, pandemic hit. And what was so interesting too, was my daughter, the month before our school shut down in March, my daughter actually was, I mean, somebody kind of created or, approached her and made a racialized gesture at her. And she was in mm. first grade at the time. Mm. And it kind of ignited within me this like, oh my goodness, mm. like this is something that my daughter is still going through, yeah. right? In current time. And so in a way, like it almost foreshadowed what was to come because now that was at the top of my mind. And I had to talk to my own children about race mm. and what they would encounter. And now, right, then anti-Asian hate started to rise. Mm. And it was just this very bizarre kind of timing. Mm. Yeah. What, like, what do you say to your kids? Like, what do you say to them when, I mean, first grade, they're so little. Like, you don't want to taint them. You want them to be in a sweet, innocent bubble. Mm -hmm. yeah, but, how do you, how do you explain what do you this say? to a child? Yeah, so I think that, at the time, one of the biggest things I wanted her to know was that this was not her fault mm -hmm. and that there was nothing 
wrong with her mm-hmm. that put her in this situation? And I think the part that I actually felt most guilty about was that I had never really up until that point even told her that this was something that could happen to you. Mm-hmm. Again, wanting to protect her, thinking, oh, first grade is too young. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've now realized, oh my goodness, it's never too young. Because even young children, even infants, they start to look at faces of people that they are similar to, right? They start to prefer those faces. So it's not that at that time it's charged with any kind of narratives. It's just how the brain works is that we start to sort things, Mm -hmm. right? We start to identify certain things in the ways that we, we attribute to it. And so I think now, and my son, who's a little bit younger, right, we've had to say like, okay, so race is a social construct, right? It was developed by people. And in our world, people have power Mm. and people have less of it. And one of the ways in which people hold on to power is based on this kind of structure, right? Mm -hmm. Based on the color of our skin. And they know skin color is something that's all around them. But now we're giving them the foundation from which to understand, well, why does skin color get darker closer to the equator? Why is it, why did that evolve over time? Mm -hmm. And that understanding and starting to introduce ideas of power and privilege, right? I mean, our kids are very privileged, right? They live in a house. They have running water. These are ideas that we can start talking to our kids about even now Mm -hmm. and also helping them recognize when people are disadvantaged, right? Mm -hmm. When they see somebody who's panhandling, when they're in situations that things feel not fair, that's when we kind of open the door to some of these conversations. I, I think this is really important because I think majority of parents, including myself, yeah, me too. We immediately think, oh, let's not talk about it because they're too young. We don't want them to feel fear or we don't want them to worry about something that might not even happen. But I think if we're able to kind of show them what what it is, then if they do experience it, then at least they're hearing it from you, from a trusted source versus like a friend or a classmate, right? Yes. Yeah. Something that I read in your book that was so impactful to me, and it's something that I'm constantly like working on is the whole, we call it, Chris and I call it the good girl construct. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like why, how do we end up here? Mm. So many factors, right? Like, how did this happen? (laughs) How do we get boxed in into this obedient, compliant, gets applause, and the rebellious girl, she's shamed? Mm. How do we get here? Mm. Well, I think there's there's overall societal elements, right? Because notice how we socialize our girls, especially to be nice. Mm. Make sure you're nice, right? Make sure you're you're treating people nicely. And Mm. I try really hard now, even though sometimes it slips, I'll say, can we try to be kind? Mm. Because nice is, let's make everybody feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And let's kind of sometimes shape shift, even if it makes myself uncomfortable, Mm. I'm going to prioritize someone else's comfort, right? Mm. To make the situation more palatable. And kindness, though, is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Kindness is like, if I see spinach in your teeth, 
And it'd be uncomfortable for me to mention the spinach, but I do it because I know you probably don't want to have spinach in your teeth all day with all the people you're interacting with, right? And that's kind. So sometimes kindness you do, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Mm. The niceness is about maintaining the social kind of fluidity, right? To not make anything disrupted or uncomfortable. And I think... We are socialized, especially as women, Mm -hmm. to uphold that for everyone around us. So I think that's the social side. Mm -hmm. But then I think culturally, Mm -hmm. within Asian culture, Mm -hmm. there's a lot there to unpack, right? It's a very hierarchical structure. It's a very patriarchal structure. So as women, there's that intersectional piece of we also need to look a certain way. We need to speak a certain way. We need to hold ourselves to a certain standard in order to be seen as respectful, right? To be seen as the good daughter, mm. wife, mother. Yeah. Mm. And I think, probably, I think in earlier parts of my life, I thought, well, okay, I want to take that on. Yeah. Like, that's a good right. thing, yeah. right? Like, well, why would I not want to do that? Yes, right. But I think I always see it as, but what's the cost of that? Yeah. Mm. And I think it costs a lot, especially as women, to uphold that niceness and the social comfort of other people because it means that I may shut myself down yeah. in yeah. response. Yeah. Oh, that's so that's good. so good. I told I you just... she was good. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to her lives and I, I, I like, it's amazing. But like, okay, but Jenny, but like, like you said, Yes, we're starting to understand that maybe the compliant good daughter, and I think Chris and I are both a product of that. It's good. I mean, there's good things to it. We are raising daughters, and I'm raising a son too. But like, how do you navigate like (laughs) being a good kid and and a good daughter and still being respectful and maybe obedient is not the right word, but maybe following in certain traditions, but also letting them have their own thing. It's, it's where, how do, where? <laughs> I mean, you have to unlearn a lot of the stuff that we were taught, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think it's on the parents too, where it's like, we have to go through our own kind of therapy or whatever <laughs> it's going to take to be okay with some of these things that we used to do for our parents. Like for example, the whole concept in our culture, like respect your elders. Mm-hmm. As a blanketed statement, it's a wonderful statement. And mm-hmm. sometimes when I look at other cultures that don't respect their elders, I actually feel a sense of not superiority, but I'm like, we are doing it right. Mm-hmm. Like there's, a, there's this thing where like you should take care of your elders. It's part of the circular way of living, right? Mm-hmm. But then we get to like more nuanced places where we're like, okay, but if this elder... For example, just 50 years ago, we couldn't marry like a black person. I mean, truly, it was you were shamed if you didn't marry within the culture and things like that. But Mm. when do you know, like, how do you know, when do you know when to say, like, I'm going to marry this person because I love them, even though you don't agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that what we're talking about is values, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, The values that we internalize from our culture, our parents, our families, and on the level that I love that we respect our elders. I think it's one of the most beautiful parts of being yeah. part of the Asian community. Right. And, and I always say and, because I don't think it's either or. Yeah. There are going to be situations where our elders might be wrong. Right. Yeah. 
right? Because even in Asian culture, I mean, it, there's, we're steeped in anti-blackness as oh, yeah. well. Mm-hmm. And so you will have encounters with that older generation where you say, I don't agree, right? right. And in my mom's generation, that was, you couldn't disagree. Like right. that came with such heavy consequences. And I think now us being kind of further along in generation, we have the privilege, right, of being able to say, I don't agree mm-hmm. and I still care for you. I mm-hmm. still love you. But in this area, I disagree. And I think we have to remember that our reverence or our respect for that older generation is not on or off. It's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I can— totally respect my parents in certain ways for the values they hold, the behaviors they have, and also heavily disagree with them yeah. and still love them. What's going on this summer? I mean, just madness, <laughs> just madness at the house. But I have to say, I'm so thankful for KiwiCo because I feel like KiwiCo is giving me a little extra time for myself, but also really engaging with the girls. Because for me, it's all about, okay, what do they do once they get home from camp? Um, Because they they just have all this energy. So how do we calm them down, (laughs) but also still have a lot of fun? And KiwiCo has been incredible for us because one, they just love building these boxes. We've been using it for months and months and months now. Uh, But it's also they're learning something. It's enriching. It's engaging. And they create super cool hands-on projects designed to create a lifelong love for learning uh, amongst the kids, which I absolutely love. And I also love that KiwiCo has a range of different ages. So both my three-year-old and seven-year-old will have different boxes from infants and preschoolers all the way up to teens. I know that your kids are a little older and they have boxes for them as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And KiwiCo delivers really enriching hands-on experiences that spark their curiosity and inspire creativity. Kids can actually discover the engineering and mechanics behind every object, the science of chemistry, of cooking and geography, culture, brand new art and design techniques, literally all of it. But it's also super fun for them. My daughter just did their kaleidoscope um, box and it was so much fun and it's beautifully made. All the materials are really high quality. So you guys, KiwiCo is redefining learning with play. So, you know, get on these boxes. You can get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code BUMO at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at Kiwi at KiwiCo.com. That's K-I-W-I-C-O.com, promo code BUMO. So I know your summer schedule has been crazy. Yep. What have you been doing to kind of practice me time? Oh, during this craziness. Well, I mean, something I always like to do in the evening is have a little tea, have a little Mm -hmm. downtime, have a little cuddle session with the kiddos. Uh And that kind of helps me unwind. What kind of tea do you you have? I love the ginger tea. We're pretty Mm. obsessed with it. And I also like to put in smoothies in the morning. It's like really good. Just like overall flushing out of the toxins. Ginger is godsend. I love ginger. Speaking of ginger, my kind of self-care ritual has been with gingers with a J, their rejuvenating self-care kit. That's ginger with two J's. It's been pretty incredible for me because one, I'm all about relaxation, especially in the evening. I'm very much a night person. So yeah. if I don't do my self-care ritual at night, I'll be up until two, three, four in the morning 
just with a bunch of ideas, filming content, because that's when I just come alive. Yeah. So, and Ginger's rejuvenating self-care kit is a perfect way to not just um, relax, but also to pamper yourself. It's an all-natural, high-quality essential oil made from ginger root, our favorite, and it has so many amazing benefits. So this kit includes a bottle of ginger essential oil, plus tools to fit every need. Um, my personal favorite is the gua sha stone. Do you use gua sha? I've tried it a few times. I know. It's incredible, actually. It's incredible, especially if you have it down uh, with kind of like your routine. It really kind of drains your lymphatic system. Um, I massage it on my body, my face. I use it with the ginger oil and it helps me relieve any kind of aches and pains. That sounds amazing. I want to try that. Amazing. And another one that I do is I actually put the ginger oil in the mini diffuser. Oh. I do not go to sleep without a mini, mini diffuser. I love that it helps you. It just really relaxes me. It like clears my mind and I just love, love the scent. Um, not only does ginger make me feel great, but it's also really easy to use. It's safe to directly use on the skin um, and the convenient dropper cap means no spillage and messes. We don't like that. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to have you try out the ginger essential oil okay. and I, we're going to talk about it next week because okay. I really want to know your thoughts on it. Okay, um, thank you. You have to check out the Rejuvenating Self-Care Kit and right now our listeners can get this special offer, 20% off your first purchase, but you have to visit our special URL, which is ginger.us slash bumo. That's J-I-N-J-E-R dot U-S slash Bumo. You guys don't sleep on this. It's amazing. Go to ginger with two J's dot U-S slash Bumo. Hey friends, my name's Olivia Perez and I'm an entrepreneur, journalist, and the host of the Friend of a Friend podcast. Every Monday, I meet with some of today's youngest and brightest entrepreneurs to make space to tell their stories and shine a light on who I believe to be the next generation of luminaries. I'll interview up-and-comers and game changers from brand builders to personalities, activists, artists, and thought leaders from around the world. Each episode lets you be a fly on the wall during one of the greatest pep talks, like a conversation between you and a friend or a friend of a friend. See you there. But what if the cost of that is like breaking the relationship with your parent? Mm -hmm. I mean, in the case of marrying somebody outside of the culture, I think a lot of families did experience that. Yes. Yes. And I think then at that point, we have to say, well, which values do I adhere to, I guess, more intensely, right? Yeah. Like, is my value of living a life and having a marriage that is really fulfilling and life-giving, does that outweigh the values of being a good daughter yeah. or having that kind of relationship with my yeah. parents? Yeah. And many people, let's be honest, in, ended up choosing parents, yeah. right? In their yeah. careers, in their marriages, in mm -hmm. all of that, right? Yeah. And also there are many people who said, I love you and I will always be ready to forgive and receive you if you come oh, back. But I love, I love my partner. Yeah. And I can't imagine building a life with this other person you want me to marry, yeah. right? Simply because they're of my culture. Yeah. Right? And I think I this is in the chapter on choosing, permission yeah. to choose, right? Yeah. How sustainable is it for you to choose a career, a partner, a life that you know is already wrong from yeah. day one? Well, you talk about that. Tell us a little bit in like your personal life how you handle that because your parents, you said that your parents had a very specific 
life that they wanted for you. And you do admit that it came from a good place, mm-hmm. but you didn't necessarily follow it and follow that. Yeah. So, you know, I went to college thinking I was going to study business, become an accountant, all of that, right? It was the very stable path. And I remember being just riddled with guilt because my parents were paying for college. Like this was my way of giving back, right? Mm. My way of taking care of them. And when I decided to pursue psychology, it was so far off. They didn't even know people could do that (laughs) as a career, right? What is that? And so I think I had to really weigh, even within myself, and I knew I'm just not the type of person who can swallow something and do it knowing it's not right for me. Mm. It's just, I I just could never kind of do that. Mm. And I think at the same time, my parents, they did that, Mm. right? My mom worked as a night shift worker at a postal office for years. They swallowed all of that because there was a higher purpose or goal, right? For stability. And so for me, there was this question, well, do I swallow it? Do I become the accountant? Even though I had found psychology by that point, and I was like, I mean, I was just like on fire. This was a field and a course of study that resonated. And I was like, do I give up this? The first time in my life where I felt alive Mm. doing something, all because my parents had this idea of what they wanted for me. And I think that the thing that saved maybe the relationship or the process was that they knew all along that I did not enjoy business. So I didn't keep it a mystery to them. I didn't (laughs) say, oh, just kidding. I suddenly don't like business or accounting. So you were kind of pushing. Yes. And yet they always said, well, what do you want? Mm -hmm. And I felt like my whole life, I had never really thought about what I wanted. It was never something that, it wasn't even a way of thinking for myself. It was like, What do other people want? What do other people think I should have? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when I finally landed on it, I think they were like, oh, she actually has an opinion for once, Mm -hmm. right? And that's the thing I teach my daughter all the time. I was going to say, then how do you do it now with your children? It is so hard. It's so hard. (laughs) I I can't. I'm having such a hard time. Because compliance is so much easier. Yes, exactly. It's so much easier. Exactly. And if they say, yes, mommy, I'll do what you want, it makes the whole day go much more fluidly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's no conflict, yeah. which it is so difficult to navigate through. And yet I know that if I teach my children to be compliant and obedient, they will be that way with friends who pressure them to do things they know mm, they shouldn't. Yeah. They will be that way with a partner who harms them and they know it. They will do that with a boss that they know is mistreating them. And so in a way, I feel like if we teach our children to comply, we are stripping them of the very critical skills of protecting themselves one day. And that is enough for me to say, okay, what is your opinion? What do you want to do? But what so, it, yeah. but like, like, this, like, this morning, how? right? So, oh, I, I have yes. so many examples I, right now. Example that just happened a few hours ago. <laughs> so I'm co-parenting and mm-hmm. their dad calls me and he's like, <laughs> she does not want to go to camp today. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, she has to go to camp. Like, I'm working. <laughs> you have to work. I have to work. She has to go to camp. He's like, she's not going to go. She's like throwing this massive fit. And she usually doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, then just bring her to the house. My parents are there. 
And the Asian in me was like, no, take her. I don't care if she's crying. Like, just send her. She has to go. But then for a minute, I was like, what if? What if she has a really good reason, which she probably does, because mm. she usually doesn't act that like this, and mm. I'm just dismissing all of that, right? Mm. So I was like, just let her be at home. And so my parents are with her right now. But then that was like an example where I was like, <laughs> what do I do? I wanted to just be like, just go. You have yes. to go. You have no yeah. other choice. Because that's what my parents did to me. Yes. Right? And in like a normal sense, that's like the quote unquote right thing to do. Because what if your kid doesn't want to go to school right now? Are you going right. to pull them out? Mm-hmm. No, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. where are some of these lines and valid? For example, I mean, we live in a beach town. Mm-hmm. So all the girls, it's just normal for them like to be in bikinis all day long. It's normal to be in like beach clothes all day, even if you're at Target. My now nine-year-old notices these things and wants to wear a crop top. <laughs> I shouldn't be around. I'm in and, crop tops all day. <laughs> yes, that's why you're not invited over to my house with your three piercings. <laughs> so, you know, and so she wants to wear a crop top and it's fine. We're in the beach town, but then she wants to wear a crop top to like more formal places. I don't know. What do I say? I, You know, I think, I think what's so hard is that our kids, I mean, they are not embedded with all of these societal on expectations, right? They're just like, what's wrong with a crop top? They sell it everywhere. If clearly it's a piece of clothing you can wear, right? And I think, you know, one of the things no. that... <laughs> it's half a piece of clothing. <laughs> but I think, Crystal, when you said earlier that, you know, you were wondering whether there was a reason in which she didn't mm. want to go to camp. I think when I'm in my regulated state as a parent, Mm -hmm. I can be curious. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things I would wonder, you know, Sarah, with your daughter is like, okay, so what does wearing this mean to you, Mm -hmm. right? And what is kind of influencing you to want to wear this? And maybe it is a preference. And then we get into conversations about, you know, like, well, what do certain, would you wear this in this situation? Would you wear it to a wedding? Would you wear it to this? School, yeah. And help them start to almost form this lattice of decision-making and help them kind of say, okay, well, would you wear this to, I don't know, your friend's church if you went with them on Sunday, right? Right. Would you, and why not? Why would that feel inappropriate? And I think if we're able to help our kids in a way explore the world of decisions in that space, then it teaches them how you make decisions in the future about higher stakes yeah. situations, right? Yeah, that's true. I know. It, it just it's, takes a lot of time. It's just so, it's much just time. so many little things. Yes. You know. <laughs> and there will be times where I do say, I'm sorry, but yeah. you do have to go. Yeah. Right? Like this week, my son didn't want to go to tennis camp because mm-hmm. it was 100 degrees. <laughs> I'm like, they're outside playing tennis. And, you know, the night before, he was kind of fighting it and didn't want to go. And I just said, I know, you know, I know it's really hot. I know you're not used to this, but mommy has to work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a backup option. Yeah. Right? The and camp is did, the backup yeah. option. <laughs> you're like, you have no choice. <laughs> right. And so I think sometimes presenting to our kids, and sometimes I'll say like, well, then we're in a pickle. They hate it when I say this. <laughs> but I'll say we're in a pickle. Can you think of a solution? Oh. I'm writing that down right put now. it on them, right? Like, Maybe you have a better idea, right? Mm. And if they can think of something that is a reasonable alternative, maybe we consider that. Yeah. But 
I agree. There are times where it is a hard line, right? If it's around safety, like mm-hmm. you can't run across the street for that ball, period. Yeah. End of story. Right. And I might lose my mind when you do yeah. because this is a high stakes situation. But then can we think about what are low stakes situations and give them more power and autonomy, right? Mm. And like even tonight we have an event and like, you know, we're getting somewhat dressed up, but my kids are like, oh, tie-dye shirt and shorts and sneakers. (laughs) And I have to be like, is this more about me and how people might view me through my kids tonight? Uh Or is this really about them? And so I'm kind of like, you wear what you want tonight. Because okay. really, it does not matter. Okay. But that part of me that wants to control, yeah. right, is like, but then people might, I don't know, think you're really shoddily dressed at this event. <laughs> yeah. But does that really, right? Or is that a my issue? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. yeah. I think it all comes down back to the parents, yeah. right? Our control. Like, yeah, our yeah. control. Ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ego. <laughs> Uh, all that good stuff. Yes. Yeah. But so that's very, very helpful, uh, to be honest. My daughter's only, my oldest is only seven, but I'm just starting to get into a place where she does want to do certain things and she loves older girls. So she obviously looks up to, I mean, she's not in crop tops yet, but she wanted to wear like a choker. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I let her. And also with what I do, uh-huh. you know, I also want to normalize that and be like, it's not, it's not all like glitter and glam. Like if you want to do it, it's not a big deal. And almost like undersell it in that yeah. way. And that has helped me Yeah, you're me a good lot at too. that. I'm not. Yeah. I just create more fear. Because <laughs> then it's the crop top, but then it's the piercing and there's the tattoo. When does ah, it end? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. So, but you're right. I do. I, ha- I am learning through so much of this conversation for the past few years, this concept of really understanding what do they want? Why do they want it? And learning to have conversations with them. And not everything is black and white all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Can we talk a little bit about just like us as Asian parents specifically? Because I feel like we, we've touched upon a lot of things within just like the parenting community. But I think being Asian and then also an example that I have for you is my, I feel like this has become my therapy session all of a sudden. So my grandpa doesn't know that I'm divorced. Mm. Oh, okay. My dad has not shared that information. He does not want, which I understand and respect. But for me, I'm just like, it comes back down to kind of like the elder thing, like yeah. respecting your elders. Right. Yeah. And it does bother me a little bit. I'm like, why don't you just tell him? He's like, no, it's just like not worth it. My parents have like come around to it and they're totally okay with it. And mm-hmm. they, I'm actually really proud of it because they are traditional, traditional Asian parents. But I think through this whole process, they've learned a lot of, not the wrongdoings, but the things that they were teaching me, yeah. uh, the things that I should be doing, getting married at a certain age, having babies at a certain age. And yeah. they're like, Holy crap. Like if yeah, we, we come from the generation of like, if you're not married by 30, no one's going to want you. Yeah. yeah. Like we're part of that generation. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and we are both like, quote unquote, good girls, like yes. good daughters. Yeah. Yes. And so not that I'm a bad girl now, but I am, mm. I am kind of the going piercing, Did you see my, all the piercings? <laughs> look, look, she, she I have has, piercings too. Oh, I have to be honest. Oh, darn it. Fine. <laughs> see, don't be so boring, Sarah. <laughs> I only have the one piercing. <laughs> How very good of you. Exactly. How very <laughs> good girl of you. I'm keeping it together, guys. You're just <laughs> so. I, I just think that through this whole process, my parents are unpacking a lot of what they t- 
taught me or they put onto us and they feel really guilty about it mm-hmm. right and and not saying that like I wouldn't have gotten married if they didn't pressure me like I also felt like I had to reach this timeline myself but I think talking to kind of the our audience they are newer parents and just like unpacking and unlearning all of the social constructs of like what we should do at a certain age mm-hmm. that were taught specifically by Asian parents. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about that? We do have a lot of Asian listeners as well. So, yeah, I think with that older generation, I often, as hard as it is, I, I think about like, okay, what is the thing that they are kind of trying to impress on me, right? Mm-hmm. To say, you must do it this way. And then I go a step further and I say, well, what is the true intention behind it, mm-hmm. right? And I think even like the marriage, you need to be married by a certain age, you need to have kids by a certain age. Their intention is probably, they still have that mindset of, you need to have a provider, you need to have a partner, you need to be protected. Because in their generations and before, that was probably true, right? If you were an unmarried female and you hit your 30s and plus, you were seen as no longer worthy or valuable, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And so they're still holding those constructs that are very much driving what's happening. Mm -hmm. But the problem is I almost feel like my parents, and I've heard from a lot of people, their parents, they're almost stuck at that point of immigration where like— they don't realize we're in the 2022s. We're <laughs> yeah, yeah. still in the 80s yeah. or the 70s, right? Yeah. So they're yeah. still like, oh, but the world still functions like that. And you're like, no, 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 no. Right? It doesn't. Yeah. And so I think what's really cool about your parents in there now supporting you is they're actually reconstructing their reality yeah. because they love you. Mm. Right? That's why they're saying, oh my goodness, how we kind of push this on her we probably felt it ourselves from our own parents and yeah. we didn't like it then either, yeah. Yeah. but we didn't know any other way. Yeah. And what now you're showing them is that actually there are many ways. Yeah. And that's how our parents heal yeah. is also through us. It goes oh. in both directions. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to cry. <laughs> I am crying. <laughs> Darn it, this wasn't supposed oh, to be a therapy session. No, it's like supposed to be an interview. <laughs> I mean, it's so true. It's so true. What is what is your dad saying? He's just like, let it be. Grandpa can just live in his bubble. Why bother it? He, you know, when I went to them, when I felt like it was going to happen, probably about two years ago, he was just like, okay, well, when you're ready, I'm here to support you. And I think during that year time, he did a lot of like reflecting himself of like, okay, this is probably going to happen. And like, this is what like he has to mentally get ready for. So I think he was ready at that point when, so long story short, my parents lived in the Bay Area. They sold their house the minute that I told them I'm Mm -hmm. getting a divorce and they moved to LA to live with me. And so my dad from day one, he was just like, you know, I am very, very sorry. Like, I'm sorry that, like, maybe if I didn't put the pressure on you that you had to meet a certain person at a certain age. And uh, maybe if we supported you a little bit more in the finances, like during college, you wouldn't have felt the pressure to, like, need to meet somebody. Hmm. And so he had to go through his own, you know, kind of self-reflection as well. But I'm really proud of them because now they're just like, 
you don't ever have to get married again. You could just have a <laughs> Now they uh, went all the other extreme. <laughs> yeah, not the, the other extreme. They're like super liberal about that kind of stuff. Now they're like, you know, marriage is just paperwork. <laughs> and they are traditional Christians, yeah. right? And they're like, it's just paperwork. If you just want to have a boyfriend or boyfriends, that's fine too. They're like, we could live with you forever. And I'm like, I don't know about that. But. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, Dr. Wang, why... Permission to Come Home is the title of your book. Can you tell us a little bit about why that was the title, why you landed on that? So this idea of permission asking mm-hmm. has been something that I feel like has been steeped in my psyche as mm. an Asian female, right? And an Asian female living in America too, mm-hmm. right? Because we're talking about model minority and all those things. And so this idea that like for our whole lives, we might be seeking permission from other people. Can I do this? Can I marry this mm. person? Can I have this job? Can I live here? Can I X, Y, and Z? And so I think I wanted us to kind of really meditate on this idea that we can claim permission mm. for ourselves, right? To reach into these spaces in my life and say, you know what? I'm going to give myself permission to feel whole, to be happy, to not feel like I'm feeling guilt all the time. Because I think a lot of us as parents, we yeah. feel that all the time. Yeah. And so then this idea of coming home. All right, when I go back to Taiwan, I'm too tan, too tall, <laughs> too, right? Oh. Like they can spot me out of anywhere and mm-hmm. say, oh, you're not really Taiwanese. Yeah. <gasps> so I never feel at home there. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm here, right, I'm told to go back to my country. Right. I'm, right, dis- discriminated against for all different reasons. So I feel like, as immigrants, we're always searching for home. Mm. And I think I wanted us to really understand that home is not a place or even a group of people. Home is a constructed identity, Mm. a longing to belong, and that we have a hand in making that happen for ourselves. And Mm. I think mental health is the way through to that. That's beautiful. That's amazing. (laughs) Can we please be best friends? <laughs> of course. Oh my goodness. Just like, can you please hang out with us all day? Can you move from Houston to Oh my Los gosh, Angeles? I would love yeah, to. We'll, we'll take care of our kids. <laughs> you will? No, you will. Did, you will. Uh, you will. Did you just see that? Did, did you just got volunteer? <laughs> no, I, I, I think mental health is also something that the Asian community, it, you know, it's a little frowned upon, right? Yep. Well, I was going to say to you, Chris, too, right? Like you have You've been going to therapy for a little bit. Yeah. How did you overcome? Because even though we in our little world, we have been talking about it for a few years. I still, there is a lot of stigma around it. It's seen as failure. It's seen as like, is there something wrong with you? Like, how did you overcome that that stigma? I I think the blessing of the different communities that I'm in. So I obviously have my Asian friends, which are probably my closest group of friends. But I also have my fashion friends who are very forward thinking. And it's actually within those group of people and not saying that, you know, uh, maybe they have more problems than other people. I don't know. They just always do therapy. They always have on therapy, the fashion entertainment crowd like that. Just you just talk about it like you're talking about your kids. Like, oh, I I saw my therapist today or I I dropped off uh, because I don't know. I spent like my afternoon with my therapist. So for me, Mm. it was a normal part of my life because I kind of grew up with people around me that were always seeing therapists. Mm -hmm. And so when I was first having problems with my ex, which was many, many years ago, 
immediately I knew I was like, we need to go see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Or I need to go see a therapist first mm-hmm. because I knew that maybe he wouldn't be open to it. So I went first, like mm-hmm. probably five years ago. And it was so good for me, okay. not just for the relationship, but just for myself as a person. And so I just kept going for five years. Okay. Yeah. So because you saw it in other people, it just became normal. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's so interesting how when I talk about therapy in kind of that setting, people don't blink an eye. They're just mm-hmm. like, but in the my Asian group of friends, they're yeah. just like, is there something wrong? And yeah. I'm like, yes. no. Like I just, yeah. I just saw my therapist like I would do, I see my doctor for a checkup. Yeah. Right? But I think this is relatively a new concept, wouldn't you say? Or is, did I miss the boat? I think within Asian culture, it is, right? Because, I mean, we are three times less likely to utilize mental health services as compared to kind of the white counterparts. Mm -hmm. And so there is something at play here. And I think there is, one, just misinformation about what therapy does or what it can do. Mm -hmm. I also think for a long time, we didn't have providers that understood our cultures. Mm -hmm. And so there was this sense of like, oh, our culture is always being blamed for why we have problems. No, not really. I think we can think about it with more nuance. Wants, right. And then I think the saving face, right? Like if, if you, I, I mean, it wasn't until I became a psychologist and then I told my parents, oh, I'm seeing somebody that they were like, oh, again, what's wrong? What's wrong? Right? Are yeah. you not happy? Do you need to talk to us? Do yeah. you need to eat? <laughs> right? And it's like, I think people don't realize that therapy is also a pathway towards growth, towards transformation. And I think a lot of times it's those transition points where people will also see a therapist where, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know what I want to do next for my job or I'm not happy with this partner. I left this person and now I want to figure out what I want. These are those exciting moments where we go to therapy. But often we think therapy is for people who have very severe mental health conditions, right? right? They just came from a psychiatric hospital. That's why they need to see someone. So there's a lot of misinformation, but I think that's changing. And I think this younger generation, they're making it so ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to the dentist. I'm going to my therapist. Mm -hmm. And that's the hope is that Mm -hmm. we normalize it in a way where it's not a big deal anymore. And it's it's almost like, because I, so when I was going through my divorce, I saw my therapist three times a week for six months. Like mm-hmm. that would, I, I, I was like, that is the commitment that I'm making for myself because I need to get in a better place. And after six months, her and I were like, okay, I think we're good now. So I haven't gone for like about six months now or maybe eight months now, uh-huh. but I'm starting to get there's something inside of me where I'm like, oh, I, I think I, I want to. Not because oh. I need to. I have Actually, my life is amazing right now. Amazing. I don't have, I mean, any problems that you, I can really We don't need to hear about it. About okay? We don't need to hear about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I have this uh, deep feeling inside of me where I'm like, I, I just need to check in mm. and make sure that I'm good because I feel like I'm good, but sometimes things come up and you don't even realize that you're internalizing it, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like a checkup idea, right? Mm -hmm. I do like the checkup idea. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I will have clients who I will, you know, we work consistently and then they're feeling much better. And I always say my goal is not for you to be in therapy forever, right? My goal is for you to feel empowered to live this life in whatever form, right, feels right. And so then I'll have clients who I see maybe every six weeks every eight weeks where we Mm. extend it out. And it is like a check-in because Mm. how often do we sit in a space with somebody who is really holding space for just you? Mm. That is so rare. Mm. Especially as mothers. Yes. Yes. Maybe in a decade. 
(laughs) (laughs) And so therapy is, I mean, I always say as a therapist, I'm like a container. I'm Mm. like a fishbowl. And people come into this space and they feel seen. And in feeling seen, we now can see ourselves Mm. more clearly. And that's what the checkup does, right? Is to say, how am I really doing? Because as a therapist, I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm not giving you advice. I'm actually asking questions and making observations because I know you now. We have several years of history. I can say, huh, this seems not consistent with what you were like a couple years ago. What do you think about that shift? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Are you uncertain? That mirroring effect helps people then introspect in a powerful way and helps you see yourself. That's powerful. Oh my God. I could hear you speak. I could hear you speak about this all day. Where do we sign up? I mean, I know you're not taking your clients, but can you take Can you please? You already have one, so maybe I should get priority. Well, this is amazing. This is amazing. We could go on for hours, but where can people find you and your book as well? Yes. So Permission to Come Home, Reclaiming Mental Health as Asian Americans is sold at every book retailer, Amazon, Target, bookshop.org, or your independent bookstore. So you can find it there. I am on Instagram, Asians for Mental Health. And then I have my professional website, JennyWangPhD.com. Many different ways to get in touch. And thank you so much for holding space for our conversation today. It was so lovely. Thank you for having us. We're coining her the Asian American therapist. I mean, is that fair? Yeah, I no, think I that's think fair. you should change your Instagram handle to <laughs> the Asian American therapist. Yeah. Oh, Great. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Done. We're starting a new business for you. All right. Thank you so much. And I hope that you guys enjoy this episode and we'll see you guys next week. Bye guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We want to keep this conversation going with you. So please leave us a DM on Instagram and make sure to follow us and subscribe to our podcast. And we would love it if you left us a review. Also, if you're in the Los Angeles area, make sure to visit us at Bumo Work at Westfield Century City Shopping Center. And if you're looking for educational-based content entertainment for your little ones, visit us at www.bumobrain.com or at Bumo Brain on Instagram. 